Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, okay, here we are as of Labor Day. And when it comes to high school sports and the pandemic, I mean, look, as we all began to fear way back in May and June, no one at the highest levels of government has been able to step up and lay out specific guidelines for high school sports. I mean, just telling us that which sports are high or medium or low risk is it's just not enough. I mean, besides, common sense tells us that cross-country is a low-risk sport, whereas wrestling isn't. And as a result, school districts and sports parents and coaches and administrators have been left to make their own decision about the safety and health and welfare of kids playing competitive sports in their community. And the hard reality is, well, it's just maddening and frustrating for everyone who cares about seeing their kids play high school sports. So the end result is here in Labor Day, well, we have, we have a hodgepodge of starting dates, postponements. Some schools are moving ahead with fall sports. Others are, are holding off. Plus, there's even more confusion in recent weeks about which sports are, in fact, low risk, medium risk, and high risk. I mean, for example, when I heard Governor Cuomo proclaim the other day that soccer was a low-risk sport. I wondered, when was the last time he has seen a spirited high school soccer match with, with kids marking opponents closely all over the field or kids banging shoulders and bodies in front of the net for a corner kick and so on? And, of course, we're seeing high school athletes begin, especially football players, transferring out of state to play, play their sport in other states where they can actually get on the field and play in real games. But there's more. I mean, this is such a mess. Look at all the confusion in Long Island with Nassau and Suffolk County. Nassau County has postponed sports this fall, whereas Suffolk County, literally right next door, is moving ahead with fall sports. High school football in Connecticut was supposed to start on time this fall, but then, according to several media reports, there were a number of football coaches and administrators who asked to hold off for the time being. So are high school athletes... Are they simply not playing sports at all these days? Well, not for their high school, they're not. 
but we all know that serious high school athletes are playing travel ball, and they've been doing so for a good chunk of the summer and now into September. These travel team kids know that at some point they will go back and play for their high school team, maybe in January or whenever the programs are allowed to compete. But as for right now, they are moving ahead with their athletic careers outside of their high school. Now, travel teams, for better or for worse, have pretty much become the only game in town if you want your kid to play competitive soccer games, basketball, lacrosse, baseball, softball, and so on. Now, those of you who have listened to me on my show on a regular basis for years, you know that I have very mixed and cautious feelings about travel squads, and we'll get into that a little bit. But right now, travel programs are thriving and prospering while high school teams are still trying to find a way to get going. And I want to talk about this this morning because I do think we're at a point where now that we're into September and we're talking about these two athletics, if you have a kid who plays sports seriously, they're playing travel sports if they can afford it, if you can afford it. And the high schools are still trying to find their way, as I mentioned. Now, some of you took exception to my tweet uh, a couple of days ago. Look, travel teams are, are not going to go away. They need to be overseen by some sort of organization or, or some sort of commissioner of youth sports. This, that's the key, and I feel very strongly about that. And if you've had a kid play travel sports, you probably feel the same way. There is, these are for profit. There's no question about it. But I want to get, a, get your thoughts about this because, you know, this is not, it's just the way it's going to be. This is how it's beginning to really sort of play out this, this year. And as we get into the school year, into the fall, we're going to see more and more of this. Uh, let's talk about this, the impact of travel teams and whether or not this is the time that travel squads, travel programs, club teams are going to finally begin to become uh, the, 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 the preeminent, the dominant way in terms of high school athletics. one 337 That is, of course, our number. And I'm eager to hear from you about this this morning on this Labor Day weekend. And I haven't forgot about high school football. Look, those schools which do move ahead with football, well, let's face it, they're all looking at a shorter fall schedule, playing fewer opponents. Uh, many high school football rosters are, are uh, the numbers are shriveling because a lot of parents don't want their kids to risk playing football. And, you know, one update uh, I wanted to give you as well, uh, you know, the Penn State, Penn State University, uh, their medical people have said that 30 to 35 percent of all Big Ten athletes, not just the football, all Big Ten athletes who have tested positive for COVID-19, they also showed signs of myocarditis. You remember two weeks ago when we discussed myocarditis on the show with Dr. Franklin Zimmerman? Well, if you haven't heard that show, I suggest you go back on WFAN.com and find the link to the podcast because it was a terrific show with Dr. Zimmerman because, quite frankly, there's a concern that myocarditis infections can apparently leave scar tissue in a young person's lungs. Uh, and that's the concern about myocarditis in terms of, of uh, you know, COVID. Look, the fact is, we are dealing with an awful mess. It is an absolute mess. And here's the bottom line at the high school level. If a high school coach in your school district falls ill this fall, you know, this year from COVID, perhaps contracting it from one of the athletes, 
then you can just automatically assume that everything at that high school in terms of sports will shut down immediately. Because that's, that's what we've been hearing all along from the colleges when it comes to their sports, and I assume it's even stronger uh, mandate at the high school level. Look, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Is this the era in which travel teams really do step up and become the norm? And quite frankly, is that really going to be a good thing or a bad thing? one 337 6666 is our number. Let's start our conversation this morning with Ed Ward over in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Ed, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How are you doing? Happy Labor Day. You too, my friend. So what do you think? I know you're involved in travel, uh, baseball, of course, and showcases. Is this the time you think this is going to basically step up over high school baseball and other sports? Well, in the fall, definitely. And I'll tell you the reason why, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of 2021 uh, athletes still looking to get into colleges. Of course. Although although it's, it's definitely, and I've, I've talked to numerous college coaches because I'm coaching a team in the uh, fall where there's some uh, – Athletes that are 2021, and it's tough because of the expanded rosters on all college level. On all college level, but you know the the big thing right now is D1 coaches can't get out and coach. That that's the big issue. Well, yeah, with the dead zone and stuff, I understand that. But Ed, let me come back to to the whole question here about travel teams. Now, again, we know you you're involved in this. Um, would you have any concerns or qualms if uh, the travel programs that you're involved in or other uh, colleagues are involved in, would you have any problems if there was an organization at the, the national or state level that began to oversee all this? Absolutely not. I, th- I think that that's a great idea. And, Rick, the one thing about travel baseball, the big expenses are, and uh, I don't, I'm sure you know about it, but I'm going to go out and say Yep. The tournaments are astronomical. That that's that's why the the, the fees or whatever uh, are 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 really high are really high for teams because because the tournament prices are are crazy. Um, but the tournaments you know, are run again, by the, the tournaments are obviously an extension of, of travel sports, and as you said, the, the the hosts who run the tournaments and have the the fields and get the the umpires and the insurance and so on and so forth, they can pretty much charge whatever they want because there's always going to be somebody who's going to say, okay, I'll pay that. Correct. That's correct, but there's not many good people like me, and I'm not saying that in a bragging way. Okay. I, again, no, no, I'm, I'm going to bring up a point. This upcoming year is going to be the fourth year I run, I'm going to be running my team showcases, and I have not raised my prices at all. I, I, I kept them the same. Uh, yes, yeah, do I run it to make make up make some money? Yeah, but I'm, I'm tell you what, there's no way I'm I'm going to be buying a Lamborghini off this event. But I, you know, again. For my efforts, I think I should be reciprocated for what what I run, but I have not run 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 my raise my prices. I already got teams coming back already for next year. And I've been I, on my events the past three years, but the thing is that that's where the that's where the problem is. But do I think it should be regulated? I'd have no objection at all on that. You know, making well, sure teams have the proper insurance. Let me example, let me yeah. Hey, let me, let me stop you there because I want to get some more calls, but I, I, I thank you for being candid about that. I mean, look, I don't think anybody has a concern about the fact that uh, people who put together uh, travel programs and, and showcases, sure, they're entitled to make uh, a profit on this. The question is, as you said, especially with the tournaments, uh, this is getting a little bit out of hand. And, you know, it's in effect, it's the only game in town. So parents who are obviously the ones who are writing the checks and, and, and basically are funding all this, it's a real concern. 
Ed, thank you as always for your call. I'll talk to you next week for sure. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's go to Dave over in uh, Croton-on-Hudson in Westchester County. Dave, good morning. You're on the fan. Mr. Wolf, good morning. Dave Greiner, how are you, sir? Oh, Dave Greiner, Mr. Umpire, how are you? <laughs> good, very good. Hope all is well. Yes. Um, I can remember having phone calls with you probably over 10 years ago about this same subject. Correct. Uh, that I thought this is the path we were going down. And COVID-19 has just greased the skids. Uh, I, I have said for years we were going to go the path of the, you know, of Europe where things were going to be club. Schools take a great liability off their backs if the kids are out of the building at 3 o'clock every day. And, you know, I don't begrudge a gentleman like Mr. Ward, you know, trying to make a buck and doing the best he can. He sounds like he does a great job. Yep. But it's just, especially I mean, with the pandemic, it, it's, it, if kids are going to be out, playing a sport and schools don't want to be liable for it let the guy let people who want to take that chance go out and uh and, and provide a, provide an atmosphere for kids to play but uh, dave we had this I conversation said, said, you know a decade ago because i've been you know watching all this for years as obviously you have uh it seems as you said the pandemic has sort of accelerated all this uh but i'm also cautious as you are as well that you know the schools you know, uh, we've, we know that athletic directors, uh, that's the toughest job in the world because you've got to deal with, uh, you know, parents who are upset about their kids and lack of playing time and so on and so forth. But, you know, so schools might say, you know what, let's just let the kids go out and play on local travel or club teams and we just shut down sports entirely. It's a real concern. The problem is that, as we said all along, travel, te- travel teams, it's all caveat emptor. I mean, the parents, you're on your own here. Nobody, There's nobody to complain to if things aren't going the way you want to for your, your son or your daughter. Exactly. What I, I, I can say, you know, from my umpiring part of it, uh, up here in Westchester we have the Greater Hudson Valley Baseball League, which for this summer, you know, ran smoothly with no issues. Uh, we umpire games behind the mound. Yep. And this fall, this fall we're actually going back behind the plate. Uh, but the, uh, the guys, you know, I don't know if it's an exception to the rule, but the, the league days that Dave Zasloff runs, it ran like clockwork, and, and it provided, you know, for kids who didn't get the, a chance to play in the spring, he put together a high school division. Uh, it just, I just think this is the, you know, pandemic or not, this was the road we were going down. I mean, you know, we've seen it for years with AAU basketball. You know, college coaches don't get, unless you're a big-time recruit, don't come into gyms anymore. They get to see the kids on the you know high school gyms during the winter, and it's the same for baseball. I, I can't remember. You know, my brother Bob, I think, was the last of the dinosaurs that would get out during the middle of a week during the spring to see a kid play high school baseball. Yeah, Dave, I tell you, uh, everything you say it certainly makes a lot of sense, and I've been observing the same thing. And and um, yeah, I mean, I think as I said, that we're, a lot of time is focused on the high school sports and when are they coming back and what's the, what's the precautions and so on and so forth. But uh, clearly, the travel programs have just kept uh, uh, get gotten back on track, and this is the opportunity. If you're a serious high school athlete, you are playing already on a travel team, and you know, pandemic. Well, yeah, we're going to consider about wearing a mask and social distancing and sanitizer, but we're playing because, as you just said, this is where the coaches, the college coaches, do the bulk of their recruiting, and they want to see either you in person at a showcase or they're going to look at tape. Uh, and the way you can get tape uh, is by, you know, playing in, in games against good competition, which the travel teams do provide. Uh, it's, one, more, it's, one more thing, Rick. Yeah, Dave. I could say this. Uh, the 
athletic directors I know and my guy at the Halle, Jamie Block, who's one of the best, they are extremely, extremely frustrated and disappointed. I mean, they just want guidance from the state. They want to get their kids out there if it's safe. And a lot of parents are putting the wrath on the individual ADs where they really don't, you know, they're just going by the marching orders they get from the state. And uh, I just know the ADs are really, 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 they want to do their best by the kids to get them out there. And, and they're taking a break of, you know, the parents' frustration. Well, and they're not really, they shouldn't really be the focus of what all the frustration is on. It should be at levels higher than them. Oh, I, I think that's clear. I don't think the ADs, look, we know the ADs are, are people who are committed uh, to their profession and obviously want the best for their, their student-athletes. Uh, this is being decided or not being decided, wherever you want to put it, at, at the higher levels of uh, uh, state uh, legislature, uh, the federal government, uh, administration, superintendents. And, and again, nobody really has a real uh, lock on all this, but again, it, it, the poor ADs and the coaches are the ones who have to put up with the brunt of all this back and forth and indecision, and then they have to somehow communicate all that to the, the, their kids and to the parents in their community. It is, as I said before, it is quite a mess. Here we are on Labor Day, and we still can't figure this out. Dave, I got to take a break. Good to talk to you, and thank you for your points. Hey, I, I'm, I'm right on target. All right? Stay well, sir. Thanks, Dave. Good talking to you. Uh, again, it's Dave Greiner, a longtime uh, listener of the show and one uh, of the best umpires uh, in this area. All right, let me take a break. Uh, when I come back, I do want to talk to you about these issues because as the time comes, as Dave has mentioned, and I feel the same way, that travel teams are now going to become the norm. And if you've got a kid who's a serious athlete, this is where you're going to be going, uh, even though there are some concerns about this. one 337 6666 Welcome back to the Sports Edge. We're talking this morning on this Labor Day weekend about the all-out confusion that continues with high school sports and how travel programs are beginning to very quietly fill that void. And we're taking your thoughts and comments about this at one 337 6666 Let me tell you a quick story. I can vividly recall going to a, a conference of athletic directors back in the late 1990s in Orlando when two high school ADs from the state of Minnesota got up and gave a presentation where they said that within two decades, travel programs would replace high school sports, with the exception of high school football. Again, this is back in the late 1990s. Their prediction was unsettling to people who were at attendance at this convention, but, and it was startling, but I never forgot it. And, and the truth is, their, their vision has proven to be fairly accurate. I mean, going back several years, and Dave Greiner just called, I, I remember this. I, I've said for a long, long time that travel teams are on track to someday replace high school sports teams or at least at least relegate them to no more than, I don't know, high-level intramural teams. Let's be candid here. Let's be honest. The very best athletes in your high school, the ones who are eager, who dream about going on to play in college, well, they're going to continue to drift further and further away and enroll and compete on travel and club teams. Yes, high school sports will continue to be a very nice attraction. Kids like to play with their friends and a lot of fun, but it won't be considered and hasn't been considered the premier level for top, lead, top athletes for some time now. So with the exception of, of high school football, since there is no travel team for football, 
pretty much every other sport is going to be more and more the domain of travel and club teams. And again, I keep hammering this point that these are organizations that are not in any way regulated, overseen. Uh, they just do what they want to do. Because remember, that's where the college coaches do their recruiting. That's where the showcases are held, the tournaments. And that's the absolute lure of the travel program. So holding out that, that carrot to the kids and to their parents, like if you come play on my team, yeah, it's going to cost some money, but you might get a chance to go on and be seen by a college coach. It's as simple as that. Do they cost money? You bet. They cost real money. And if you, you heard me say many, many times, uh, it's all, again, unregulated. They can charge whatever they want. It's not overseen in any way by any governmental watchdog. It's all caveat emptor, buyer beware. Uh, travel team websites and brochures, they're very slick. They're very, very positive, very upbeat. But again, let's be very honest here. Travel programs, well, they're for profit. They're money-making ventures. Uh, and you never ever lose sight of that if you're a parent uh, or a coach or an educator. Uh, they, the people who run the travel team, they determine what they are going to charge you. It's as simple as that. Let's continue with our calls. Let's go to uh, Jack Smithland next. Uh, Jack over in Fairlawn. Good morning, Jack. How, how are you doing this today? How are you, Rick? I'm um, fine. I'm happy Labor Day. And, uh, you know, you're talking about something that I read this great book. And it really was a fantastic book. And I recommend this book to every sports parent that is looking for their child to do the right thing through athletics. The name of the book was called The Sports Parenting Edge, written by an author, <laughs> you know, not, a, not a famous guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wait, let, me, let me stop you right there. Okay. I Look, Jack. <laughs> I very much appreciate the the, 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 the the pop for my book. And again, I, yeah, I wrote well, that originally 20 years ago, and I've since updated well, it. Well, you're, you're ruining my talk here. I just want you to know that. <laughs> well, but thank you. But yeah, this we can't. This book was written. What? Yeah, I know what, what you're going to say. Do? It was written 20 years ago, and a lot of this has all come to home. And you talked about this stuff 20 years ago, and people weren't going to believe you. You said you heard it from these two athletic directors in Minnesota. I mean, this is the truth of what's happening today. And like you said, high school football is not going away. There are no club football other than the lower levels, youth kids, eight, six, five years old, which I think is crazy. But. You know, you're not going to get clubs that are going to play football because it costs too much money. But the point is, is that you wrote about this 20 years ago. And believe it or not, the book didn't sell from what I remember. And you revised the book. I recommended it to every single one of the key, uh, people that I teach, their kids and their parents. And they've all bought, they've all got it. They all went out and got it and purchased it. And they get and it gets rave reviews. You talked about this. Club teams are taking over. They are, absolutely are. Right now, there's more action in club baseball than there will ever be. Other, I'm going to tell you, in baseball, softball, and soccer, those are just off the charts right now. Yep. And like you said, I believe, and I when the first time you said this to me years ago, I listened to you, and you were absolutely right. Our youth sports needs a governing body. And I'm going to tell you right now, and, you know, you know the way I think of you and all the books that you've written and stuff like that. I've read every one of them. But you would be a 
perfect candidate for that position. Seriously, because you know it inside and out. You know sports parenting, which is such a big, most important part. I mean, in the book, you write about how to pick a club team, how to what to look for. People don't know those answers. They certainly need that information in order to go forward. Where we are with the virus right now, you know, when this whole thing started six months ago, you know, our, our fearless leaders said, oh, it's going to disappear. Well, right now it's worse than it's ever been, believe it or not. You know, Jack, and schools I, I get- are going out. Go ahead. As I say, I, first of all, thank you, obviously, for your, your wonderful, you're, kind you're support. But but to your point, yeah, I, I always get nervous and have been for years about if, a, if look, a parent decides if they're not really up to speed or it's their first kid going through the process of playing on a travel or team or a club team and going through the tryouts and what does it cost and what's the commitment like and so on and so forth. If they aren't familiar with any of that stuff. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I wrote that book and why I revised the Sports Parenting Edge because I felt that people need to get this kind of inside information because it's not available anywhere. It's not necessarily a level playing field. When your kid goes out to play or compete at their high school uh, JV or varsity or freshman team, it's on a level playing field. The, the, the coaches there are paid by the school district, not by the parents. Uh, and theoretically, it's, it's all done on a meritocracy basis. But when you go on a travel program, man, you're on your own. Because for all you know, the guy who's running the travel team set it up to probably benefit his own son or own daughter. And they're going to have already pre-selected who's going to be in the team. They've already come up with a, they, you know, spend a wheel of fortune and say, okay, we're going to charge this much this year, you know, for the kids to, to be on the team. And, and you don't know where the money's going. Um, it, it's, it's, it is a for-profit venture. Now, I'm not going to, Jack, I'm not going to tarnish all the, the travel teams because a lot of the people who run travel programs do it for the right reasons. And, and they do it uh, to basically help kids get to the next level and play better competition. But a lot of these programs, be honest with you, this is a, as I've said many times, this is like a $17 billion industry, billion with a B. So somebody's making some money or somewhere. And it's not necessarily, you know, for the, the, the benefit and, and the welfare of the kids. Uh, and that's something that parents have to know. And if it's not regulated, man, oh, man, it, it's, uh, it is, as we said, Jack, it's the wild, wild west. Uh, let me uh, thank you, as always. Let me take some other calls uh, as well. Let me go to, uh, to Jim out in Huntington. Jim, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Rick, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Well, you know me as an athletic director, so obviously I'm going to have one side to, to take on this. Uh-huh. Uh, the first thing that, that comes to my mind, and you know, getting into that argument about travel ball, is the one thing that we're missing here is the reason why travel ball was able to play this summer was because Governor Cuomo said they could, but also because they have zero concerns related to any governing body telling them about health and safety. Correct. They, that is the biggest problem that we have right now, because my job as an athletic director is to protect the district from vulnerability to litigation. And in that per- process, we follow 14 rules, coaches and athletic directors, in order to make sure the kids are safe and have a great experience. And once you remove that from it, well, then it is the wild, wild west. And then anybody can go. But then you also talk about dilution. There's a tremendous amount of dilution in travel ball where it's paycheck time. If whoever had, like you said, we're going to say this ad nauseum, whoever has the paycheck can play. But I think there's an item here that I kind of picked up on, and if you give me a second, uh, I'll relate it and see what you feel. Mm-hmm. When you and I were kids, that the, the status symbols of our families was a second car, 
or a color TV, those things if you had a, a gas-powered lawnmower. I mean, those were status symbols. Everybody has those status symbols today. Our kids have now become status symbols. So we spend the money, the extra money we have, on our kids to put them in a place so we can say to the guy next door, my kid's playing for Team A, why isn't yours? And that's, I think, one of the problems we have, that our kids are now chattel when it comes to the travel ball. And it's it's just, you know, we can go on and on and on about the problems with New York State and the problems that we're having with, uh, with getting back to sports and the Nassau-Suffolk differences. But the bottom line here is it's exclusionary. There's zero diversity. There's opportunity only for you to play if you have the money to play. Jim, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I agree uh, 100% that um, what has happened over the last uh, decade or so is that travel sports have become uh, part of conspicuous consumption that, uh, as you said, uh, back in the day, uh, you know, the parents wanted to show off they got a second car or maybe they they somehow got uh, membership in a local country club. But these days, uh, it's nothing more prestigious than to tell your neighbors, friends, whoever, that, oh, yeah, my, my little one is now just made the elite travel squad uh, and, and so on and so forth. That is a badge of honor for the kid, but it's just much of a badge of honor for the parents. And the parents are going to, you know, it's going to cost them more money to, to do this. They're definitely going to do it. As you just mentioned, it's also exclusionary because it's it's a, a pay-to-play situation. If you come from a middle-class family where money is tight, you know you're not going to be able to play on a travel team uh, because you just can't afford it. And, and uh, yeah, that's a real major concern as well. Um, but as you said, Jim, it, it's just like... You know, there's so many complications, there's so many concerns that the reason the schools are are so cautious about COVID because they don't want to have problems with lawsuits or or kids getting sick or coaches getting ill. That you know, somebody across the across the street says, "Hey, hey, kids, come over here and play. We'll just go on, a, on an empty field, and you know, we'll, we'll charge you a few bucks, and let's go at it. Don't worry about the, those regulations of the school. We're just doing this because you kids want to play sports, and that's pretty much what what the attraction is. And kids want to go out and play sports, and the parents say, "Well." I'll take that risk. I'll take the chance that my kid's not going to get sick or bring home uh, the virus into my household. It is, it is a real concern, and, and it's just amazing to me that there is more attention focused on this because, quite frankly, the parents who are, who are playing for their kids in the travel programs or club teams, they're happy with this. They feel they've, they've outsmarted uh, the system, and that's, that's, you know again, for better or for worse. The one thing we're not hearing about is COVID cases coming from travel programs. Exactly, exactly. And they, you, hear, you hear rumors that, oh, no, no problems, things are fine, no problems. But you don't know that because, again, there's no, there's no oversight of this. There's no regulation. And right. I find it hard to believe, I'm not trying to be a negative person here, but I, I find it hard to believe that we keep getting reports from the, uh, the college ranks. There are thousands and thousands of college athletes who have come down with, uh, with COVID uh, and other situations. How is it possible the travel teams are somehow isolated or immune from these things? Because uh, I've seen lots and lots of photos in the last uh, couple of months where travel programs are operating and parents are not social distancing. The kids are on the, the bench sitting next to each other, not wearing masks. I have to assume, Jim, that there are issues there. But again, nobody's going to publicize that because that would run totally counter and would shut down a travel a travel organization. 
Well, that's, there's so many of them that have run it have given up their livelihoods to see that travel can make them money. But the, the other piece that's missing and the one that's the most important to me and the, and the rest of my association yep. is that we're educational-based athletics. And using civility, character, citizenship, and competency as our guidelines. In fact, we're, we're rewriting those guidelines that was 20 years ago when it was brought out in New York State. And we're sitting down in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be rewriting some of those guidelines to match up with some of the uh, issues that we're dealing with in society today. And without that, then we can just basically become that travel program. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're preaching the choir here. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, look, uh, my first encounter with a travel program was with my son, you know, many, many years ago. And I remember having a conversation with the the travel coach uh, after a game, and I was asking about playing time, equal playing time for all the kids. And he said, look, Mr. Wolf, you understand something here. This is a travel team. We're here to win. The best players play the most of the time. Well, this is not like a high school program or a modified school team where it's equal playing time. The best kids play all the time. I was stunned, but that's that's what it's all about. And they don't they don't share any of those kind of uh, critically important lessons for life about you know uh, camaraderie, uh, team teammanship, sportsmanship, uh, working towards a common goal. That doesn't that's not part of the travel team package. They want to go out there and promote their kids, who the best players are, so they can get scholarships to college, which will help their travel program continue uh, into the future. Uh, it's, it is a real concern. And again, you're living this. You know exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. Jim. Uh, and you're doing it from, from the, the high school side of the, of the, the ledger. It's a real, real issue. Well, I, I'll even leave you with one more word. It's, sure. It's epics. The, if you ask a travel coach what, what's ethical behavior for a coach, I doubt he could answer, unless, <laughs> unless he's a high school coach that's working for a travel program, which well, is becoming more and more prevalent. Again, I, I don't want to tarnish all travel coaches because a lot of them are good people, and as you said, come, a lot of them come from uh, you know, uh, the high school coaching ranks. But, again, it's, it's, it, you just never know until you're sucked into it with your kid, and all of a sudden the things start going sideways. You're looking for answers, and you may not get the answers you want, and good luck trying to get a refund. It's as simple as that. i got to take a break, Jim. Thank you for your thoughts, the good ones. Uh, good talking to you. You too, Rick, always. Okay, let me, let me take a time out. When I return, we'll continue our conversation about the, the growing impact of travel teams, because that they are, right now, the, pretty much the only game in town. one 337 6666 Just a reminder that uh, at 9 o'clock this morning, Ed Randall will be stopping by. And, of course, Ed will be talking baseball with you. Uh, And a couple of uh, notes here. I want to make sure you hear all this uh, very carefully. Uh, First of all, you can always follow me on Twitter at AskCoachWolf. And if you miss a show, you can find the the podcast of the Sports Edge. Uh, You go to the link for podcast on WFAN.com. And as I said, an important scheduling note, starting next Sunday, September 13th, uh, the Sports Edge is going to move to an earlier start time on Sunday mornings. We will begin at 7 a.m. and go to 8 a.m. Uh, right now, of course, we start from 8 and go to 9, but next week we go to we start at 7 and go to 8. Again, that starts next Sunday, uh, September 13th. Um, we're talking right now about the rising power of travel and club teams and how they're filling the void of high school sports. You know, uh, look, let, let's be very candid about this. If you have a high school athlete 
and he or she is not playing on a travel team right now, well, he or she may very well be missing the boat if they have any dreams of going on to play in college. Uh, and as you heard from some excellent calls this morning, uh, this is the, the really very hard reality of where we are right now with all the uh, delays and postponements when it comes to, uh, to high school sports. It, it's just um, it's difficult because uh, you want your kid to go out and play. You want them to play in a safe environment. But, you know, you really need to ask even more questions if you're a parent about uh, what are they, what are the travel programs doing in terms of uh, safety and health and welfare, in terms of uh, the pandemic, what are they charging, what, what's the philosophy, uh, and so on and so forth. It really, you really have to, as I said, do some due diligence before you sign your kid up or have your kid try out because you just don't know what you're getting involved in if you aren't familiar with that travel program on the coaches and so on and so forth. It, it, is, it is a real concern. Let's get back to our calls. Let's go to uh, Tim over in East Chester in Westchester County. Uh, Tim, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Good morning, Coach. Coach, I think what we'll see is a true dichotomy of have and have-nots in high school or youth sports if we go the route of the travel team. And I think that's a real travesty because most kids that play in high school they get to be part of something. And if you take that away, it's going to be a real tragedy. And if I may share a story with you, I was 5'2", 80 pounds. I made my varsity high school baseball team. And because of that, when I put on that jacket that said John Jay Baseball, I was the biggest, baddest little man that walked through those school corridors. (laughs) And I wouldn't trade that for anything. And I had the pleasure of playing under a coach Matthew Rossi, who was not only just a great baseball mind, he was a better human being. And it would be a real tragedy, like I said, if there's an elimination of any high school sports. Coach, as always, you have a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks, Tim. I, I just, uh, just to clarify, and I, I come from the same era where the biggest, uh, the biggest thing you could do as a high school varsity athlete was to be awarded uh, a varsity jacket, and you wore that around school and the campus, and you became a big man on campus, and that was a big, big moment. But those days are long, long gone. These days, the kids who, who strut around town uh, or in school uh, with a, a jacket, a windbreaker from their travel team, or their club team, that is to become even more prestigious than being uh, getting a varsity jacket from the high school. Uh, and, and, you know, you can ask the kids, and they'll tell you the truth, that, yeah, the competition is better on my travel team. No, it's more fun to play with my friends on the high school team, no question about it, but if I want to go to the next step in my uh, athletic career, I have to play with other kids who come from other towns and other communities on, on my club team. And, and it costs a lot of money, and it's very much a time commitment, but that's what you have to do. Um, and again, parents, you have to do your homework uh, to find out if or not you're getting your kid on the right program because a lot of these things, you know, it's just not it's just not overseen or, or, or regulated in any way. Let's go to um, – Let's go to Mike in Oyster Bay. Hey, Mike, you're on the fan. Hey, good morning. Hey, good morning. A um, couple of things. First yes, of all, Mike. I think it's uh, a regulatory commission, private, not government, is very important. I think if they sh- there was some kind of um, periodical or app that would really clarify which teams are good and which teams the travel teams are bad, both like or assesses them, it would be really important right now. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I think the travel teams should start taking over now and the eliminate the high school sports. The money that could be um, made by the high school sports by, le- um, by the high schools by le- uh, leasing out their fields 
and saving all the money on um, insurance and coaching can really be redirected to the education of the kids, especially in the um, less fortunate uh, districts. Well, Mike, uh, I think I, that money would be well served to go into like into the community. Let's talk about that for a second, because I do think that's uh, that will probably be something that will come about, at least uh, for discussion uh, at certain high schools, because particularly the schools, the public schools, which have smaller enrollment, uh, where money is very, very tight. Um, and they're going to be saying, well, you know, we already know about football. Football, uh, the high school level continues to lose kids over the last four or five years that's all attributable to uh, concussions and concerns about that and now we have a pandemic so i think you're going to see high school okay. football i mean that's a real real issue because how many high schools are going to say we want to pay even more for insurance premiums uh for kids with concussions and now with pandemic it's going to be a real problem and schools are going to say you know maybe the time has come to sort of give up the best athletes in our school anyhow you know play on travel teams so let's just uh Go like the Europeans, not have any high school sports and just have uh, kids play in club outside school. I, that may be a real possibility. It may not happen this year, but I guarantee you uh, at some point, yep. somebody, some school district is going to talk about that. So I, I, I agree. And I think that if you had some sort of um, oversight board, you could mandatory, make, make mandatory. Every travel team has to have three scholarship kids or just to open up so that uh, they have to allow. So kids who can't afford it do have access to it. I don't think that would be asking too much to uh, put a few kids who can't afford it, let them come in to have some kind of a scholarship type of uh, a program. I, I hear you. But again, we'd like to have some sort of regulatory uh, organization that really can look through this and, and all these travel programs and ask for a lot of transparency. And I got to tell you, I'm not sure a lot of people who are run successful travel or club teams are going to basically be okay with that they're going to all of a sudden have to expose how much money they make and they're going to say ah, i don't i don't need that i don't need that if you want to be in my team fine but we don't have to, we don't want to be regulated and i think that's again hate to come back to the issue of finance and money but that is a real concern mike good points thanks for the call let's move on let's go to uh, to ron and wyckoff hey ron you're next up on the fan Good morning, Rick. Uh, I just want to let you know, I've been involved with travel ball for many years in soccer, and I've also been involved in high school. And I think there's a real dichotomy that people have to understand when it comes to travel ball. Travel ball has become, as you say, like a badge of honor, but I would tell you the league I'm involved with, when I started with it was 200 teams, now it's over 1,000. With, with teams that really aren't travel, people just pay this money with this idea that the kid is playing travel ball, and it's really a glorified rec league. So people have these wrong ideas. Insofar as the top travel clubs, these guys are not telling the truth. They're promising people scholarships. It's not the honor. They're telling people, I get you a scholarship to college ball. And if people would spend the time to look at the NCAA numbers, they'll find out that these guys cannot produce what they're telling. In soccer, there's maybe 700 scholarships available a year, and the top, there are 80 or 90 top clubs in the United States. If you multiply that by 18, you see that there aren't scholarships available for anybody. And they've morphed into what used to be people at the high end. They started with high school kids. Now these travel clubs and high-level clubs are starting with kids 9 to 10 years old. If you do the math and spend $10,000 a year on travel ball for 10 years, you can pay for two years of college, and you have no shot at getting college scholarships for that type of money. 
again, this is exactly what I'm talking about, that if the parents actually spend some time uh, and try to look beyond the, the, uh, the fun and the glamour of my kid is somehow special and made the elite travel or the elite club team and did some homework and actually tracked down, as you said, you know, how many kids in this program actually got scholarships last year and at what programs? And don't tell me he got a scholarship to Division Three because they don't offer scholarships in Division Three. I mean, do your homework because people are trying to lure you in so you'll keep their program going and they can you know, put some money in their pockets. Uh, it, it is a real concern. And I just I just feel and I've felt was there for some time now that until there is some real transparency and there's some third-party organization that can look through travel and club teams and say, okay, let's figure this out. And then if you want to have a ranking system, that's fine, because we all know that a lot of people have jumped into travel programs, uh, which when in fact they say they're elite, and in fact they're not really elite, they're just basically a way for uh, a dad or a mom to basically have a chance for their kids to, to go out and play a sport uh, with their friends and call it a travel team, and it's not. It is a huge concern, um, and I think because of what's happening now with the pandemic and high school sports having all sorts of uh, you know, fits and starts, now the time has come to say, well, what is going on? Is this the way out of this? I mean, I, I mean, you said that you were involved in high school as well as travel. You must see the same way, correct? Correct. Now, I'll give you an example. Over 20 years ago, my league had a seminar. We had Bruce Arena, Bob Bradley, Manny Shellshide, and I'll think of the third. Any top-level college, we had, we had put a seminar on before we did an exhibition game. Yep. And I can quote with Bruce Arena, who was the coach of Virginia at the time, became the national coach. He said, look, we have 9.9 scholarships to offer total for soccer. And that's still the level today. I need 11 players on the field, but I need substitutes. So the chances of getting a full scholarship are near impossible. Yep. And then he said, look it. He said, so you, if you, and there was like 300, he said there's 350 schools playing, so they don't all offer full scholarships. So maybe there's 700 scholarships available a year, but he said people don't understand. At Virginia, I have to give a scholarship based on what the cost of going, but the average scholarship is based on a combination of what tuition is, in-state and out-of-state. So he said for me to give someone a full scholarship is almost impossible for an out-of-state student. And the other thing about all this, too, which adds into this, is because we've seen because of the pandemic and we've seen all the college revenues are, are being diminished, all the non-revenue sports in college, and that's usually all the sports with the exception of football and basketball, uh, they're losing money. And as we've seen, a lot of programs are just being wiped off the map because the college is saying, look, we'd like to have a soccer team here, but we just can't afford it anymore. So it's gone. Goodbye. And that means also if the programs do survive, they're going to have even less money for, for scholarships. It's not good. And, and we've heard over and over again that, you know, you better, as you said, you better off put your money into a 529 savings account than think your kid's going to get a full scholarship for soccer somewhere because it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Right. And Bruce said something else which was interesting. He said, listen, you know, you're looking at what's going on here just locally. But if you look, we recruit all over the world for soccer players well, on college level. So you're not just competing locally. That's exactly right. I'm glad you mentioned that as well, because a lot of parents look, of course, at their own community. They look at their own county. They look at their own state. But there are 50 states, and I can assure you that I do, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of speaking events all over the country, 
every town in America looks upon their athletes as though they're somehow better, gifted, stronger, faster than every place else. And they're all looking to get scholarships to college, whether it's soccer or any other sport. And on top of that, as you just mentioned, particularly with soccer, you know, they're looking for soccer players in Brazil, Italy, Spain, Ireland, everywhere. They don't, they don't care where they come from. If the kid's a good player and has academics, come on to our program. They don't, there's no obligation to bring only kids from the States to play at the, at the collegiate level or bring from all around the world. And that's, that's the way it is. And I think parents somehow lose sight of that. And I've heard from so many, uh, you know, admissions directors saying your kid's better off taking money from, uh, for getting academics, not for sports. Anyhow, hey, Ron, thank you for the call. Good points, uh, again, all on target. A really, a very, very engaging conversation this morning about travel teams and what needs to be done because they are not going away, and obviously they need to become more transparent, and we need to get some real regulation uh, from some sort of outside third-party organization to see what these things are all about and what can be done to help our parents make smart decisions when it comes to their kids. Okay, that's going to do it. For me in this edition of the Sports Edge, my thanks this morning to Ed Orzuman. Stick around for Ed Randall. He's up next. Don't wait. Next week, we're on at, eight, at 7 a.m. I'll see you then. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas Phoenix, and Rhode Island. Jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.